Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monteith. And I'm Charlie Simpson. Welcome, Charlie. Thanks, hey, John. John. <laughs> hey, Greg. So the setup for today's conversation is that Charlie is a longtime friend, goes way back to, I don't know, maybe even second or third grade. And we've stayed in touch across the years. Charlie is a local now in Portland, Oregon. And we were talking the other day about experiencing God, connection to God. And Charlie was mentioning his feelings of feeling disconnected from God. And that tied into another conversation I'd been having with Greg on the side. And we're like, hey, this could be a podcast. And then I thought, you know, I feel disconnected from God just about all the time. <laughs> so <laughs> what does that look like? I, so I was just curious. I thought this could be an interesting conversation. So maybe with that, Charlie, say a little bit more about, well, maybe say, I don't know, I'm kind of surprising you here, but maybe say a little bit about your background. So we grew up at the same church in Southern California. Anything else you want to say about your background or Christian or church experience? Well, I, I think, you know, pertinent to your question, John, and it's probably a longer story, but I, but I grew up in a very similar background to you. We went to the same church, and, and I would say there was a certain experience I had as a, as a kid, and I think that's very different from the experience I had as an adult. And, and you know, that background is conservative church. We, you know, we went to church on Sunday. We went to church on Wednesdays. I was in a Christian school, so inundated with this kind of culture and you know, the connection to God was, well, you were always involved doing something, so you must be connected. Mm. I will also add that another another thing that we all, the three of us actually share in common is time at Labrie. So Charlie spent a good block of time at Southboro Labrie, which is in Massachusetts. I was going to ask Charlie, and, and John had mentioned that before, when 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 was that? And that, that was with the whole family or just, just yourself or... Yeah, it was actually, we went um, twice, uh, Robin and I, Robin's my wife, um, mm -hmm. we went before we had kids, and I think that was really, it, it's kind of, Labrie's kind of like an infectious disease, um, in a positive <laughs> way. <laughs> <Right>. Totally. <laughs> um, John was talking about the experience and what he did, and we're like, wow, that sounds fantastic. We want to go check it out. And so we, we checked it out. I took like a week's vacation from work. We flew out to Boston. We went to the Labrie, kind of a, a quick dose of Labrie. Mm. And it was enough to get a taste of it, but not enough to, to really solve anything. And, right. and, so, and so we did that and we're like, that was really wonderful. We should come back and do this again sometime. And then, you know, life goes on. We had kids. Career was busy. So it's probably, mm. I don't know. Eight, eight years goes by, something like that. Okay. And um, and then I was um, I was ending one job. Uh, had gotten you know kind of uh, a, a package. I'd resigned and, and anyway it was it was ending. And so I was looking for the next job. Hmm. And um, and so you know the typical thing is you get the package, you go get the next job, and then you double dip for a while and you make a lot of money and et cetera et cetera. At that same time, my son, who was probably only six or seven at the time, came to me and said, Dad, where do I go? Like, what happens when I die? You know? Mm -hmm. And 
and we've always had a thing with our kids where, you know, we want to answer with a sense of integrity and that like, I, I don't want to just pawn off an answer and say, oh, oh yeah, this, this is, you know, the accepted, you know, catechism way to kind of answer that or, uh, but yeah. I don't really believe it or, you know, so, so I wanted to be, you know, truthful and honest and answer with integrity. And I'm like, you know, I don't have a good answer for that because I have lots of doubts and questions. Mm-hmm. So, so that, that it must have been like a weekend or two after they happened to be having a Libri conference out in Sacramento and we were in down in San Francisco at the time. So we're like, let's go to the Libri conference. And nice. so we went over there and we went to that conference and we took the kids over and we, we've got some, some family in Sacramento. So we dropped the kids off. And so Robin and I were at the conference and we're sitting there and we're, we're going through it and we're listening. And we're like, this, this is like, this is really critical. Like, you know, our choices here are going to, in fact, affect our kids. If we can't answer, if we can't figure it out, and we don't take the time to figure it out, you know, what are we signaling to our children? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so really, at that point in time, both of us go. You know what? I think we should scrap the job search and go to Libri. And so that's what we did. We scrapped the job search. Mm-hmm. And we went to Labrine and spent a semester or a, a term there, I guess. Um, drove across country with the car, the kids in the car, and uh, it was it was a really fundamental. We call it a watershed experience, right? Where mm-hmm. fundamentally changed our trajectory. Wow. Um, yeah. So you had that experience. It sounds like it answered some questions. Was transformative. Would you say from that experience, then you felt that you did experience God on a regular basis and like bring us current? So the feel like describe feeling like it's disconnected from God and what it looks like when you feel connected. I guess there's like five questions there at once. <laughs> yeah, let, let, let me, there's, there's a few steps in between. So let me kind of take you to the sequence to get you a little closer to present time. So I, I think Labrie, you guys know you've been to Labrie. You come in with your list of what you think your top <laughs> you figure out. And then you, you throw know, it away. <laughs> and, and you end up in working on like number 10, 14, and 25, right? And it's this weird organic process, yet you you finish it. And you're like, wow, those are really important things for me to go figure out. So I think before we went to Labrie, it was very hard for me even to sit in church and not get angry. Like just sitting there, uh, just I, it was hard for me to be present even in the church service. And I think going to Libri, Robin had some questions around just the validity of the Bible, and and she's like, I don't know if I can believe the Bible. And there, there's a classic, <laughs> classic example. Before we went to Libri, the church we were in, in in San Diego was, you know, she was going, well, there's there's stuff by Elaine Pagels and all these great, you know, scholarship that's talking about, you know, the the you know, whether, can you believe the Bible? She goes, I don't know. And, um, and the, the pastor of the church goes, you know, you got to be really careful around that stuff. You know, if you got to be careful about reading that stuff. And, and so suddenly she takes this thing, which she has concerns about anyway, and goes, well, well, maybe there's something there if he doesn't want me to read it. (laughs) (laughs) And so it just intensifies like the, the doubts, we go to Labrie and they're like, you know, <laughs> she was with her, her mentor and goes, she goes, great, Elaine Pagel, great. Why don't we order the book, um, start reading it, and, and let's discuss. 
and like like take it head on. Read the best they have. Here's here's the you know the top three books she's written. You should read this this and this, and then come back and let's discuss. And and suddenly she's grappling out with head on and you know working actually through the issues. So anyway, all of that to kind of capsulize is I, I think Labrie was just this foundational getting past this hurdle of even us being present in kind of a church community, just being able to be in that environment um, and, and just get over some fundamental doubts and questions. You know, not that we still don't have them. My, my thing kind of turned from, what did I start with? I, I think it was something around technology and God and, and you know, because I, I work in the tech world and like how those intersect. And I ended up and it was it was all about all about sin nature, <laughs> all about sin all the time and fallen man. Um, hmm. But but it kind of turned into the foundational of why why one way to God, you know, kind of just from a philosophical standpoint. So. You know that kind of got me over the hump to say, okay, I, I think I, I think I get why, you know, Christianity is different from what else is out there, and and why those other things don't quite work when you think about problems of good and evil. How can there be such good and evil, and then the fallen nature of man, and all that stuff? And that's probably a whole <laughs> two or three hours in of itself. So we come back from Labrie, we can be present in church. We pick a church community to be present in down in San Francisco on the peninsula. Um, and we, uh, gosh, a, a few more life transformation things. Um, I think we ended up in selling our house, uh, kind of detaching from the track we were on, which is, you know, buy the really nice house and keep on, on this like slave labor track to pay your house payment, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we, we, we sell it. We go rent and we move actually right next to church so we could be more, you know, participate in the church community more because we were probably 25 minutes away. Um, and so we're making all these investments thinking, oh, it's going to be a- amazing. And like, you know, <laughs> literally years go by <laughs> and it's not amazing. Um, but I would say probably, you know, um, just a year or two before we moved to Portland, and and this is the time of connection to God. I'm in um, a couple things kind of overlapped. Um, one is I realize I have a lot of anger in my life, mm-hmm. and um, you know you can almost describe it as as rage that bubbles out at certain points of time. Um, and and sometimes my you know my kids or my family will be the recipient of that. So. Um, so I go into therapy, you know, I get a therapist and, and start kind of working through some of these issues just in, you, you know, in, in that long laborious way that that stuff can be. Um, in, in almost a similar time frame, and there's more that led up to that, but almost in a similar time frame, um, there is a, uh, a guy at church who's super successful, like Goldman Sachs, I think he did the Microsoft merger, all sorts of stuff like that. So he's he's been down the work track, made his money, and is is also a Christian. And he is invested in a Bible study with guys who are um, kind of people like me, well educated in you know kind of mid mid level career, 
kind of spots, and um, it's it's a Bible study that's very much focused around, you know, kind of uh, the contemplative spiritual disciplines, um, etc. So he in, he invites me to this, and I get involved with that. Um, and then the kind of the third thing that happens at the same time is we had gone on like two mission trips with the church that were like family mission trips just to really make connections with people. Mm-hmm. And we make connections with a couple families. One of the guys that we had met, um, Aaron, awesome guy, he goes to a storyline conference. Um, and coming back from the conference, he bought me a little birthday gift, which was the storyline book, which I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's, it's basically like, um, it's kind of like a life planning book, but done with a Christian slant to it. It's by Donald Miller, right? Yeah, Donald Miller. Yeah. Oh, right. oh yeah, yeah, okay. So anyway, he gives it to me and I said, "Wow, this is really cool. I I've, I've been interested in this." And I'm like, "Why don't we go do it together?" And he's like, "Okay." And so the two of us start to go through this together. Um a third guy hears that we're doing this and says, "Hey, can I join you guys?" And we're like, "Sure." And so then there's three of us and then a fourth guy hears and he goes, "Hey, can I join you guys?" And so then there's four of us who are all going through this. We're all, you know, kind of, um, family guys and similar places in life. Um, and we start going through this, this exercise for basically the next nine months, which is kind of looking at your life, the ups and downs of where you've been and, you know, kind of how God redeems the ups and downs, et cetera. So, Mm -hmm. so I have these three things running in parallel and then I start to see these, these overlaps where, my therapist will say something, and, and I could actually dig up actual examples if I flip back. Um, and then that same topic, like almost even the same author, comes up in Bible study. And then that overlaps into kind of the storyline discussion. And for the period of like a year and a half, two years, this, this cycle kind of continues. And I have this sense, I'm like, this is really weird, but I feel like God is doing something in my life. I feel like he's working on these hard places. Um, I'm seeing change, and and so I'm like, this is this is good. And it's not a coincidence. In other words, there's there's too much synchronicity or whatever the right word is that says this can't all be just an accident. Yeah, I mean it's happening again and again, like like multiple times over the course of that year, um, and. And then, uh, you know, in conjunction with that, we're we're attending. Uh, the church we're going to had kind of like a like a satellite campus where it had like a TV service, but all our people who are our friends were kind of going to that satellite campus, which was a smaller setting. Hmm. And the the pastor who is there is is just you know, some pastors are like they're preacher guys and they they really get into like preaching and stuff. This guy is just what I would call a shepherd. He just cares about people and just had this incredible way of, of, um, connecting with people. Um, but anyway, in, in the course of going to that, that smaller venue, like I actually cried in church, like, like several times and I don't, I don't really cry. (laughs) And, and, and it was really weird as we were leaving that congregation to come up here to Portland. I said, you know, I've cried more in this congregation than I, in this church setting than I ever have probably in my life. And, wow. and, and so it's the sense that I'm like, wow, God's really doing stuff here. Or at least I think he is. I feel something. I, I, I see experiences and this kind of thing. So this, this would be my description of 
I feel connected to God because I see I see movement in my life. I, I I see change in my heart in terms of my anger and dealing with my son. You know that the example was the kids would like sometimes when <laughs> when I came home angry they would they would be like everyone's like can you just like go to your room and like relax for a little bit or something. And the flip side of that is I'm out walking to church with my son and he reaches out and grabs my hand. Hmm. Just and just this this connection. So so that that's that's God in my life. That's connecting or connected to. And and I think we we moved up here in January, so we've been up here, gosh, uh, eleven months now. And I think the the challenges of moving and commuting is is I feel like I'm in this you know hyper caffeinated work blitz on most weeks and and there isn't i don't i don't feel connected one is it's a new community so i'm i'm still meeting people right but i'm so busy it's like i i barely have time to breathe um and and john it was actually our conversation over donuts <laughs> last weekend where you're 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 scoffing uh, at like, oh come on, discipline of sleep. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> a spiritual discipline of sleep. <laughs> the, so the reference there is what's the name of that book? I think it's Good and Beautiful God, but I'll have to. Yeah, no, it's yeah, on my show. So, so. there's okay. So the the backstory here is there's a book called The Good and Beautiful God that Greg has mentioned a bazillion episodes ago, and we talked about reading it. And so Greg sent me a copy. So I've read part of it. Charlie had read the book separately. And so in the future, Charlie might join us again and we might have a kind of a three-way discussion about that book. But yes, I was taking issue with the book because the book has, it's about spiritual disciplines and I, yeah, there, there's a chapter on the spiritual discipline of sleep, which yeah, <laughs> continue. <laughs> So, so I, I know you were laughing about that, and you're like, "Come on!" I, I think I think your your framing for that was this is just common sense, really. Yeah, the spiritual it, discipline of common sense. <laughs> so, so I, I I I don't know. It, it, it's kind of funny from that perspective, but but coming from where I'm at right now and what. You know, and, and th- this is coming from kind of like I'm in the Menlo Park in Silicon Valley, right? So everyone's like venture capital, like go, go, go. There is the context of, you know, you just got to work harder. You got to drink more coffee. You, you know, you just you make it all work. You know, your your son plays the violin. He's um, on the select soccer team and you know, he's, he's working on the cure for cancer as a part-time program with Stanford, you know? (laughs) Wow. And, and, you know, I'll, 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 a little, little diatribe here, but, um, one of the guys at work actually goes to, um, his kid goes to a high school where there actually was one of the high school students who was really gifted and was working with Stanford and came up with like a novel cure for cancer. And so jokingly, I said to him, well, Hey, how's your son doing? Is he like, (laughs) Uh, you know, has he cured cancer yet? And he goes, well, my son is in that same class with this guy. And, and he, he took me seriously. He was like, oh, I don't know. I'm kind of behind the curve and like, I'll get on him. <laughs> and it's just such a, a hyper over the top drive environment. So coming full circle back to the discipline of sleep is just, it's the idea that if we don't, if I don't have enough stillness in my life, 
it's impossible for me to connect, either with my kids, with God, or even like connect with myself in terms of like, Mm. you know, what is my fatigue level? Like, where's my emotional state? I don't have time. I got to get to the next thing. Mm. So, so that's why the, the spiritual discipline of like that concept of the spiritual discipline of sleep, I would, I would frame it in the way that, um, you know, I think it was, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, the name escapes me, but it'll come to me later. But the, the idea that, um, one of the biggest problems in our modern life today is hurry. We're in such a hurry that, that we can't reflect. We, we don't have conversations like we're having now, like the, the people are too busy. Um, so, so would so would you say that that for yourself then that the disconnection feeling this dis- disconnection from God is a result of being too busy or or do you feel like this is just a certain phase of your life where that's just the way it is or what like how are you how are you looking at it uh i i mean i i think it, i i'm um I'm, I have like the, you know, I have a problem. Like, how do I fix this problem that, you know, that engineer in me? It's like, what's, what's wrong? Why is it not working? Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. and, um, and, and so one of, one of the tools that I use, which comes from some of the stuff that came out of the Bible study is, is this whole, um, kind of Jesuit idea of examine. Um, surprisingly, I, I grew up Protestant, but I really like a lot of the Catholic stuff, There's, especially the Jesuits. They, they resonate with me. Um, but it's the idea of just reflecting once a day and saying, Hey, what are, you know, over the course of the day, what are the events that happen? What are things that made me feel, uh, consolation is the word they use. Um, you could put in connected to God, um, desolation or disconnected from God. Um, sometimes those get interpreted in my head as happy or sad, but it's not quite bad because things that are very sad could make you feel very connected. Right. Um, so, so in kind of diagnosing, you know, using that on like a daily basis, it's it, the idea of, of being hurried. Um, I don't, I don't connect as much, right. I don't, I don't have time or, or, or if I'm so fatigued that I'm just like barely functional. So Greg, how do you relate to this idea when you, so like Greg, you'll often talk about being in love with God or do you, in the way that you understand and relate to God, do you relate in the same way of feeling connected or not connected or how I'm curious what, if, if there's the same or difference or how you look at it? Yeah, I I don't, that's an interesting question. And I've really, thank you for, for being just so, um, uh, transparent and, and, uh, sharing so much, Charlie, it really gives me, I mean, John may have a, a lot of background cause you and two have a lot of background together, but it, it really gives me a very full, pretty vivid picture. And that that's really helpful. Um, I guess this notion of being connected or not connected. Um, I think that probably what happens for me is I am very tied into historical events. So, and by that I mean, so there were certain things that transpired for me when I was at, you know, at various different points at Labrie in Switzerland. Um, and that those events were very transformative. I don't know if it's a feeling so much of being connected or disconnected as a feeling of 
being supported or not supported. That's maybe how I would say it. I don't really have a sense of not being connected with God. Um, and I would describe that, I don't know, well, I think I just used the verb feeling. Or yeah, maybe that was a noun, but nevertheless, I'm talking about feeling, but sensing, maybe. I don't really sense myself to be in some ways disconnected with God um, as, you know, I think what is prominent for me is having a sense of, a vocational sense that's very strongly related to the kind of transformation that I experienced in my life relative to God. And this just kind of, just, just overwhelmed everything, you know, not overwhelmed in the sense that, 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 you know, all of my senses shut down, you know, all of my receptors were just already filled, right. And they could not take in anymore, but in the sense of being, um, thoroughly aware and having that awareness perpetuate, it's like, uh, sometimes you'll, I don't. I don't know if you um, enjoy wine at all, Charlie. Um, I used I to. do. You do. Okay. All right. Cool. So we can. We You're can safe talk there. Okay. Um, I used to import for a little while. It could be a very different conversation for the next half hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't be drinking any for the moment. So, <laughs> but I, I used to import, and and one of the things that that my my uh, business partner and I did on occasion is we would uh, sign up for some. Some some of the more high end tastings that were available. We were in Toronto at that 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 point, and some wines have this capacity to what we call it finish, and the finish can be very long. And it's this notion that the taste, if you like, and more than the taste, the kind of the aroma and everything, lingers with you long after you've uh, you know you've you've consumed that wine. And I I oh, think that I is <laughs> yeah yeah. I mean, providing it's a good finish, I like it, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want to get rid of it. But this was a good, you know, uh, fantastic sort of sets of experiences and that, that they have had this sort of um, staying power and this, yeah, effect on me over a long, long period. So so I resonate with that because that, that seems to, as I talk about, you know, what happened when I had this alignment of – kind of, you know, Bible study, therapist, church, mm. friends, it was a, you know, that that experience has had a lasting impact in terms of, you know, life resetting. And it sounds like Labrie was kind of that way for you as well. Yeah, there were some things that happened that were really, really prominent and really powerful. I, I am interested to know it at some point, maybe we don't want to talk about it now, but I'm just interested about that process of, of for you of leaving that environment, given that it was so you know, impactful, uh, uh, you know, again, may not be the right time, but I'm, I'm, I just want to express my curiosity about that because I won't leave in which environment. Well, I mean, just, just in terms of, uh, San Francisco, right. Mm. And, and, and coming up to Portland and I mean, that's obviously a much larger conversation, but those must've been some, some, you know, uh, very thoughtful decisions and, um, yeah, I'll I'll, yeah. I'll I'll take a quick stab at it if you like, and then sure we, we can go back to the question of connection. Um, and I think it it perhaps is is related. You know, in selling our house and moving down to to Menlo Park uh, when we did, 
the intention was, hey, we're, we're making a quick stopover in Menlo Park because our end goal is to get to Portland because, you know, John, my buddy's up in Portland and we got, mm-hmm. you know, family up there and just, you know, a lot of reasons for the family to move there. Well, that, that right. quick stopover, which we thought was a year or two, turned into five <laughs> or mm-hmm. something like that, four or five. I think by the time we were done, um, so when the opportunity came up with kind of uh, the alignment of things around work to move to Portland, we're like, okay, it's here. And right. we're sitting here going, well, you know, we, we've, you know, we've got this this thing going here, and, and and so it was it was a lot of dialogue about where we wanted to end up, and and you know, Rob and I have tried to be intentional about our moves and saying, okay, why are we doing this? And mm-hmm. you know, because there's a lot of inertia around just staying with a certain course, you know, and you're like, well, mm-hmm. we kind of settled in here, and it's and it's good, and one of the things in the storyline thing was talking about, you know. Uh, envision your life as a movie. Movies have climactic scenes where you have resolution and all the conflicts kind of play out. What do you want the climactic scene for your life to look like? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the climactic scenes around the theme of kind of family is this idea of the kids have gone to college, they've come back, we're in the kitchen cooking together Um and as we're cooking, we're enjoying a fine wine mm-hmm. <laughs> and cheese and crackers and just sitting there and joking. And they're telling me about their dreams and hopes for their lives, right? And this sense of mm-hmm. connection with kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so to, to make that happen, you know, requires – I don't want to be enslaved to my job and just trying where, where I, I can't afford to take time off. Because I, I've got to, you know, make the next level so we can afford the house we're living in in the San Francisco area. So, so some of this was a, a change in kind of our cost of living and all that kind of stuff to mm-hmm. enable um, not a bigger house and not more stuff, but just a higher quality life. Right. So, okay. Um, but in that transition, I'm not sure that you know, nine months in, I'm, you know, there's there's still gaps. I'm like, wow, wh- where's I'm feeling less connected to God now. Like, what happened? (laughs) Were you expecting that you would feel, were you expecting that it would just continue or that it would be more or? I I knew it was going to change. I, you like, like you, you can't, you can't move from an environment and just rip everything out and, and kind of expect like it all to be there. But but I also, as it changed, I expected there, you know, the way my life felt, I thought, oh, but there will be more, you know, I'm going to work from home, like what John's been doing. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> Greg does <laughs> <Right>? it too. <laughs> and, yeah. and what Greg's been doing, and, and there's going to be this just sense of, of time and stillness and being able to set my agenda and other things. And at least the way I've settled in thus far, I'm like, I feel more frenetic now than I've ever felt. <laughs> I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Um, and I think that's that's leading to this sense of fragmentation and and, and disconnection from God, really, and sometimes even from my family, right? I, w- I wonder a little bit about, I mean, that's interesting. Thank you for kind of, yeah, fleshing that out a little bit more. And something that strikes me is, yeah, you know that there is, it's it's going to be different. And I wonder about this, when lining that up with this notion, this kind of, you know, experiential reality, if you like, of not being as connected to God. 
seeing that move as a challenge, and yet I wonder to what degree, given that what you came out of was this time of very close connection. On the one hand, we talk about challenges, and we, we typically mean obstacles that we must overcome. But I wondered, in, in, in your case, Charlie, to what extent that challenge actually could be better represented by way of an invitation in the sense that there's this great amount of connection, growth, transformation, positive movement in terms of who you are. It was funny when you were talking about storyline and one of the things that, that uh, you know, I've spent a little bit of time looking into is this, this notion of self-identity and um, trying to occupy the narrator's position. We don't really have the ability, I don't think, to write our own stories because life is always bigger than us. It's always, you know, reversing yeah. stuff on us, pulling the rug out, throwing complexities in that we hadn't foreseen and, and just things we can't somehow overcome. But trying to occupy the narrator's position, trying to not only be the actor, but the person telling about the story in a way that sort of allows the actor to move forward, not with full control, but with some degree of, of power and autonomy and, yeah, sufficiency. But I wonder to what degree this move for you then could be seen as, and I'm speculating, as an invitation because there is this gap that's formed and it's almost as though, don't get, take me the wrong way, wow, there's a need for this to be filled. There's someone who's been filled, you, Charlie, who's been integrated, if you will, with himself, with his family, and through this kind of integration with God, I mean, this kind of integration with God, almost kind of working the, the, the weft all the way through this, this woven fabric. And here you are in Portland. And, you know, in other words, I wonder to what degree the obstacle is a hunger that you might not have otherwise had. You know, I'm not trying to say that we, John and I had this conversation about, you know, does God cause evil? And, and, and I'm not, certainly not trying to put it that way. I mean, evil might be too strong of a, you know, a word, but um, that out of a situation where you come having been really satisfied to move into a new situation, seeking satisfaction might be something that is a catalyst, not only for yourself, but for others. I don't, I don't know, but um, I no, guess as I, I reflect... Go ahead. I think there's some resonance there. Um, you know, w one of the things uh, when I was in therapy, my therapist said to me is, he goes, look, you know, the Christian life, it's really about character development. And unfortunately, character development doesn't, it doesn't happen necessarily when everything's all good. I mean, actually, if you think about a movie, any any movie you've seen, there's something, you know, everything's all good. The character's in love with his wife and then he's in a car accident, his wife dies and, and then his dog runs away or something, right? <laughs> there's always some, there's some disaster, some conflict. And then the rest of the movie is about, you know, that character trying to like make sense of it and, and redeem it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so the sense that this move is, is, you know, potentially in, in my life, you know, have, has just put a new challenge. Um, yeah, I, I think there's, I, I I think there's there's truth in that. Um, you know, I, I think uh, I, I've you know I've always wanted to, to rather than live kind of the the milk if if I can do it rather than live kind of a milk toast was the word I was going to use. I don't know if that's mm -hmm. offensive to anyone, but <laughs> you no. know, kind of that you know steady state 
world, but I would rather I'd rather go challenge it and and take a risk, even if even if it's a failure. I would rather live fully, you know, um, than than somehow miss out on on what could be happening, even if it's a failure. Um, mm-hmm. So that the move to Portland actually was was very deliberate on our part, and we were sitting there, you know, and Robin Common and she had friends going. Oh yeah, you guys are always talking about moving to Portland, but you never do it. You know, they didn't say that exactly, but it was kind of that tone. And so we were like, we're going to do this thing, and we're mm-hmm. going to, you know, and we're going to lean into it, and we're going to figure it out. Um, but but you're right, it does bring in challenges. And that, that's really interesting too. And when you talk about storyline and John, to get back to your question, I think one of the things that happened for me is that because some of those storylines for me were so, they were, they were imprinted already, right? So before my process of coming to God was a process of reckoning. So you may not know this, Charlie. Um, th- my past family history is one of severe sexual abuse by my father. And one of the impacts of this is that it, it polarizes. There, there's no way to um, – well, I mean, there are components, right, depending upon how people respond. With my father's response, it was, it was uh, impossibly polarizing. It was, it was nothing but polarizing because, I mean, if, a, if a, someone who's perpetrating things like that um, changes their ways or, you know, in some way kind of – owns up to that and, and there can be healing, then I think there are a whole bunch of possibilities. But when they don't, I think there are only two. There's succumb and rebel. And, mm-hmm. and mine was very much the, the rebel. And so, um, yeah, I just, I, I, I think, John, maybe this is one of those pieces that we don't talk about as much. I think it's just part of, like, you know this about me and I'm fairly open and transparent about it during our discussions, but because so much of my story was already working in such a dynamically polarized fashion, in other words, uh, you know, I was going through my early 20s with no goal but to throw off my father and be a better man. And and that, that you know, you might say, well, gee, that's pretty broad, isn't it? And in some ways, yes, it is. But uh, most of those ways were sort of, you know, um, like be morally better, be uh, uncontrolled by and, and all of these other things. And, and, and then to see my Christianity, you know, be just ripped apart by some of the things, you know, clo- in close conjunction with, with that sort of personal reality and the things that sort of played off of it. So it's interesting when you say that, Charlie, like leaning into it and, and making these choices and, and being together with the kids in the kitchen over a nice cup of a glass of wine and, and, and hearing what, what they're looking forward to. And maybe, I guess, probably too, hearing them reflect on some of the things that y- you may value and hearing them kind of resonate with that and that kind of great sharing that can go on when you kind of reminisce about, you know, good things in the past and um, good things in the present. So I guess too, John, part of, part of that is that, you know, and I remember, I remember us having these discussions of me saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm just way in a different place than a lot of people because I think I've had to come through and deal with that. And, um, I, I, yeah, for, for you, Charlie, um, w- one of the primary upshots of the transformative time that I experienced 
uh, Labrie was being freed from the power of this thing, not in the sense of, uh, you know, me needing to be an abuser. That's not the type of thing that I'm talking about because that's not the, the what typically comes about when you move away in a sort of a rebelling way from this sort of, um, yeah, this sort of thing. But um, rather that... Um, that, yeah, I think abuse is always ultimately about secrets and lies, and those secrets and lies become internalized. And even when we're smart adults and we go through a lot of counseling, we're always dealing with warding stuff off. We're always on our guard. And for me, it was to have been utterly freed from that in a, uh, yeah, just an incredibly uh, powerful way. And so I think that's also been somewhat polarizing or magnetizing. Let's not say polarizing. Let's say magnetizing. I know magnets have two poles, but there's just this kind of draw to it that's other. And I think that, you know, to bring it full circle, John, when you're talking about feeling, being in love with God and feeling loved by God, that's just not a reality that I doubt. And it's not a reality that I you know, I don't, I don't sort of wake up every morning and I have this some sort of experience, like the experience of, you know, touching my face after I shave and thinking, ah, oh, isn't that smooth? You know, like it's not that, but, and it's certainly not every day. And yet there's this tie in with who I want to be that there's this, I, I don't know. It's, it's like an ongoing sort of connection. Well, you, you know, know, I think in a perfect way, this is the great, this is a fantastic example of a like a labrie meal conversation. <laughs> it's Spot on. Like, it started with a question. I'm sure some listeners out there are going, these guys never answered John's question. Like, did they really? Like, what's the conclusion here? I don't like this bothers me. What's the answer? And you know what? That's like, yeah, I don't know how to explain it any better except that that's Welcome some to life. Yeah, it's kind of how it goes. So, well, thanks for stopping by today, Charlie. Any parting thoughts either you guys have before we call it here yeah i mean i, I if i can take another minute or two absolutely it, you can come back if you want yeah. oh yeah i totally do that um i, I think yeah, in your great. just discussion greg just about those layers being sloughed off as, as we kind of work through this the, all, let's call it the scars and the different pieces that make us who we are and we all have different ones and i think god exposes a little bit to the light each time. Um, so I, 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 yeah, just in, in that whole summation of the experience is, um, is, is for me that period where, wow, I, I feel like a lot of stuff is changing and moving and I, and like all of these forces are aligning in like major excavation and then to flip to a period where, gosh, all I feel now is kind of in like busyness and emptiness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but maybe that's another that's that's God shining light in a different way. Um, it's kind of what I took away from what you said, which which th- this could be like the next thing that you need to think about. Well, why why are you feeling empty? Like what's going on here? And and maybe you don't have those same influences. That they're going to be different. Yeah, well, and even the sense of of having uh, knowing that it could be as good as it was for you before that creates a hunger and a desire and that that can be catalytic not only for you but for other people who knows i i don't know 
Yeah, and, and I think one of the things I've learned is, because I'm a data guy, right? I'm an engineer by training. And data's great, but people hook onto the stories. Mm-hmm. Right? Pe- that people can relate to stories. E- even when I'm talking about work stuff that's data-related, if I can bring it, well, we have this customer, and here's what this customer does, right? And he's feeling this way. People resonate with that. So I, I, I think there's power in stories. No, that's so. a great place to pick up next time because I would say, yeah, I have lots of yeah. data about Christianity, but I'm looking for a better story, maybe, kind of. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Ooh. All right. Well, I don't so know. Look that, we've already got our next topic. <laughs> I like that. Let's do this. Let's do this. Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. Notes and links for this episode are at untanglingchristianity.com. We welcome your thoughts and comments both at the website and our private Facebook group. If you'd like to join the private Facebook group, let us know your email address in the sidebar of the website to receive notes and links for each episode, and we'll send you an invite to our private group. Or you can send your thoughts or request to join the group by email. Send those emails to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode. <laughs>